Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 31 of Towing the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is pitching talk, it is every week, and it is with the familiar faces you see here. If you're watching on the YouTube stream, it's the five-time World Series champ, the signing award winner, David Cohn, the master researcher, James Smythe, and myself. This episode brought to you by Manscaped. And if you are watching said YouTube stream, you can also see we're bringing you some new Tone the Slab merch right here. Uh, David, I've got a hoodie with your mug on it. Is it kind of weird that you're doing a podcast while I wear a shirt with your face on it? Uh, you know, I need to get one of those, actually. It's pretty cool. I like the little, uh, you know, the, it's there's always the licensing issues, right? So you, you got to put the JM on, on the pinstripe. So, you know, I like I kind of like that. It's kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I got to get one. I'll just quickly run down some of the merch that I have here. Just so happened to be at my feet. I don't I don't know how that got here, but you have you have a bunch of colors. And like I said, in my opinion, best color scheme in the John Boy media realm, towing the slab, uh, pitching with David Cohn. So love it. Bunch of different stuff. We're going to give away some of this stuff, too, in the coming weeks. So be uh, be on the lookout as to how you can win some merch here for uh, from towing the slab. So. We're going to get you covered here and we got new threads and very accessible if you want to, uh, you know, dress and, and look and feel great here. So guys, we are entering the two week mark in this season and we've had at least two full turns in every pitching rotation. We've seen bullpens get lots of action with the abbreviated spring. And I, I want to hear whether we've seen enough or whether we need to see more as it relates to some teams and individual pitchers this season. So we are recording this on, on Tuesday morning because David, you had Sunday night baseball in San Diego this past week. And before we get into this, before we get into the opener, saw you were yucking it up with Charlie Morton. You got to see some of these young Braves pitchers that are filling in important roles, Spencer Strider out of the bullpen. And then you saw you Darvish look pretty sharp after a, a not so sharp second time out for him. What'd you think of the Braves? Padres series from this past weekend well the, the Braves are for real they're you know we, we I picked them to, to go back to the World Series again this year uh, so it, it, they easily could do that uh, they're getting Ronald Acuna Jr. back when he comes back it's going to be fun to watch to me the Padres I got a chance to also talk to AJ Preller the GM quite a bit and I, I just can't wait to see them get the full Monty to get everybody healthy again the moves he's made I thought have been really interesting they're chasing the Dodgers in the West Talk about a tough task trying to keep up with them. Uh, if they, you know, if they can just get healthy again, obviously Tatis Jr. is a huge part of their team and it was a devastating blow when he broke his wrist. So he, he's going to need a couple more months at least. So that, that's, that's disappointing. But at some point in the second half of the season, they're going to get everybody together and everybody healthy again. And all those moves that he made, we'll finally see, you know, who the Padres are. Can they really push the Dodgers? And, uh, I hope they can because uh, that's an exciting team, San Diego, and that stadium is great out there. Full, st- uh, it was a it was a full crowd, and you know, and San Diego is uh, you know is a, is a great great city. So it'd be be fun to watch them, you know, have a have a team that everybody thinks they can have once they all get healthy. Could be a good three team race with the Giants in there too. Yeah, San Diego is definitely the spot if you're there for for business. You want to take the red eye flight back to wherever you're you're coming from because you want to get that. Full day in, in, in San Diego for sure. But yeah, the, the NL West starting rotations, 
there's a lot of debate I feel that could be had there. There's a lot of debating on whether who has the best rotation one through five or the best top three. We're going to get into the Padres rotation. We're getting into the Dodgers pitching staff a little bit later with, with see more or, or see enough. So we'll, we'll run through that, those certain pitching topics as we get through the third turn in each pitching rotation here at this point in the season, we'll have, this week of pitching history, we'll have three up, three down. But first, as we begin every episode each week, it is the opener. David, what are you going to start us off with? Well, you know, I, I John Boy Media does such a great job of, of, of covering really baseball everywhere in the world nowadays. We see clips from all over. And so to me, the story coming out of Japan from a young 20-year-old, Roki Sasaki, uh, has been incredible. He threw a perfect game two starts ago. And he had 19 strikeouts and 13 consecutive strikeouts within that game. Well, he came back in his next start and he did it again. Eight perfect innings. He had 14 strikeouts. So back-to-back starts, 17 consecutive perfect innings pitched. And his manager took him out after eight innings. He had a perfect game after eight innings. The score was zero to zero. So it's a different kind of a ball game. You don't get credit for a perfect game unless your team scores a run. You know, that, I know that from the Mike Mussina near Perfecto when I was facing Mike Mussina back in 2001, it was a 0-0 game after eight. If I had not given up a run in the ninth inning, then Mike Mussina could have theoretically thrown a perfect game and it wouldn't have counted because it was 0-0. Zero to zero. So that's kind of what was going on, I guess, in Japan with Sasaki. But what an incredible talent. A 20-year-old, he's been clocked it up to 102 miles an hour, regularly around 100 miles an hour. He's got a split-fingered fastball that drops off the table at around 90 miles an hour or in the low 90s. Uh, his stuff is legit. He's real, and it's just an incredible story for a 20-year-old. And we keep talking about the next wave of pitchers with the training methods that are out there now and, the, and all the technology and the and spike in velocities. The next wave of pitchers are really interesting. It's already starting in Japan. Roki Sasaki is a name to watch as he's got now has 17 consecutive perfect innings pitched. Incredible. And Marine's manager, Tadahito Iguchi, little blast from the past name uh, in White Sox lore. He's the manager. He said of his decision, if you think about what's best in the long run, I thought he reached his limit today. By the end of the seventh inning, he was getting close to hitting the wall. I hear that, and I'm a big proponent of being conservative pitching this day and age. And it's interesting that this kind of happened in line with what we saw with Clayton Kershaw over the last week. Very different circumstances, right? Uh, Roki Sasaki is not coming out of an abbreviated spring training. He's not coming into games with limited pitch count at this point in the season. And the dude had a chance to top Johnny Vandermeer. I mean, you are that close to possibly achieving perfection for a second straight game. Get it was a scoreless tie, but don't you almost in that situation, owe it to your pitcher to see if your offense can squeak out a run or so. It's a great point, Shaq, you know, and, and, and you, you almost represent the fans too. And, and Jeff mm-hmm. uh, Passan mentioned that too. And is in the Kershaw start and that he understands it's a short and spring training. It's Clayton Kershaw. Uh, but what about the fans? What about the history of the game? So you're right. That is a valid argument. That kind of, that kind of kind of rang, rang true with me a little bit, having obviously, you know, been through that myself and, Joe Torrey took me out after a no hitter after seven innings uh, back after my aneurysm and my first start back in 1996. And I remember that conversation. I remember the feeling I had in the dugout. And afterwards I talked about, you know what, uh, the team's more important. 
team first, uh, big goals, big picture. Yes, that those are all the right things to say. But if you're a fan of the game and you had a chance, maybe you're sitting in the stands watching that game. And yes, I know Clayton Kershaw said that the next day. He woke up with a kind of a bittersweet feeling, you know, and, and maybe some second thoughts about, yeah, wow, credit, you know, paying respect to the history of the game and, you know, and the, and the fans that, that had a chance to see that game. So, yeah, it's a valid point. I mean, it's kind of making me think twice, even though I understand the sentiment of big picture, got to take care, take care of your health, trying to win a World Series, team game, individual award, individual achievement. Yeah, it's valid, but Jack, you bring up a good point. It's such a tug of war for me. And I, I think, I think, Logic trumps the fandom only because we're in the third week of April following an abbreviated spring. If this happened maybe a month later, pitchers stretched out, I'd probably be siding more toward that appeal to the fans, celebrate, you know, at the, the essence of everything that makes this game great. You want to see perfection, you want to see greatness. But I think Logic in Clayton Kershaw's case, at this point in the season, that kind of trumps trying to give what everyone wants to see yeah, out of the, the picture I on was the there, the ticket stub. I was there, yeah. you know, kind of feeling that, that I see, I still sign ticket stubs from, you know, July 18th, 1999. If somebody has a ticket stub, they send me pretty regularly in the mail or I see them at the stadium. You know, I, I was able to have David Wells sign my ticket to his perfect game, but I also had it with like with the beanie baby. Cause I, I have the beanie baby and the ticket, in one case. So I brought the ticket with the beanie baby again. And when David saw that bear, you know, he, I could say, he's like, Oh man, not this fucking thing again. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he's tired of seeing that white bear with the heart. <laughs> so yeah, he's, I'm sure he's thankful though. Deep down. I know for sure. All right, guys, let's get into a little segment. We're going to call more or enough. So we're going to run through a certain pitching topic. As we come through the second, third time through these pitching rotations here in mid-April, we're going to decide whether we have seen enough or whether we need to see more in order to form an accurate opinion for this entire season. And we're going to begin with the New York Yankees. And this first topic, it's a non-pitching topic, but it is worth discussing because it's right in our wheelhouse here. And yes, it is, it is early. A lot of 2020, uh, 2021 issues have already popped up, though, as it pertains to this Yankees offense and this lineup. And a lot of fans are questioning the lineup construction, rest days. The pitching staff has been terrific. But as far as this Yankees offense, problems from last season have already popped up. What do we make of it all? Have you seen enough or do you need to see more in order to be alarmed with the Yankees? I personally, I want to see a little bit more. I know it's frustrating, especially for Yankee fans. And Joel Sherman, a columnist for The Post, wrote an article about, is this just a continuation of last year or is this a separate year? And we, we need more time to, to view it. I, they got a couple of new players. You know, uh, IKF needs a little more time to adjust as the shortstop of the Yankees. Uh, Kyle Higashioka, we saw him in spring training, hit seven home runs and then kind of start to press once, once the bell rang, so to speak. Kind of, kind of, kind of got to see a little more time there too. Glaber Torres is an enigma without a doubt at this point. Who is Glaber Torres and, you know, what's going to happen with him? It's concerning at this point. It makes you wonder everything about the, the, the construction of the baseballs. How big a deal was that a couple of years ago when he was wearing out the Baltimore Orioles? 
Gary Thorne freaking out in the, in the, in the press box as Glaber's just wearing out the Orioles. Uh, I got to see a little bit more with Glaber too. I'm just not ready to, uh, to say, you know what, Glaber's falling off a cliff, uh, even though the numbers suggest that something's going on there. So I want to see more. I still think the Yankees, uh, the talent wise, when you look under the hood, as James likes to say, um, the, the, there's too much talent there. There's, there's too much, uh, too much exit velocity for the, for them not to, uh, not, not to score more runs, but yeah, I think I want to see more with the Yankees, but I know the Yankee fan base is clamoring and, and they're, they're upset right now. Then they, they want to, uh, they want to see some, some fun baseball. They want to see some exciting baseball. And that happens when you're hitting the ball over the fence with, with that lineup. Hey everybody, you know, what is even smoother than a Trey Turner slide into home plate? It's your own bat and balls after using Manscaped. Right now, go to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SLAB. Manscaped has the full package for your package of the season. The performance package 4.0 checks every box and is the five tool star that you've been searching for to bring your balls club to the promised land. The lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, the weed whacker for your nose and ear hair, the crop preserver to knock out that chafing and to moisturize. We know that's everyone's favorite word. And the crop reviver. It's going to make your inner clubhouse look like the ultimate field of dreams. Clean up below the waist in 2022 with the best lineup from Manscaped. You can up your game and stay under the luxury tax as well by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code SLAB. Again, manscaped.com, you get 20% off plus free shipping by using the code SLAB. I'm with Coney. I'm sorry, it's 10 games. They're not a true talent. Bottom three offense in in the major leagues a lot of the complaints about the offense in the past oh they don't make they strike out too much not enough contact which that wasn't that was a problem last year it was not a problem in the previous years of the baby bombers era from 2017 to 2020 they made the changes that people wanted Rizzo Donaldson Kiner Falefa these are you know more contact oriented guys better than average strikeout rates and they're still struggling so I I'm with David. I'm just going to say, you know, if, 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 if this is still persisting after another uh, couple of weeks when they're facing a softer schedule, then we got problems. But for now, I'll just kick the can down the road. Yeah. I'm the same way. Memorial day is usually the first demarcation in the season calendar for me to really have a strong opinion formed on anything going on in the game. It's just, it's a little alarming that they have the same exact problems popping up and James you mentioned some of them and yes you would think this is an elite group of talent there's no way they can be performing this poorly over the course of 162 while they were kind of middle of the pack last year and I believe the Yankees are a much better team this year right now in mid-April than they were in early October in the wild card game I think they did make improvements I think they tightened up the margins around this team I'm wondering if this persists, if that will have them maybe look into how they approach things and whether or not that needs to be changed because they changed the personnel a little bit to fix some of the things on the margins like we just mentioned. When do they start to question whether or not the approach would need to change because it seems like the approach has remained the same from last year. So that's something to watch for me. And I still need maybe a month more to, to form a real opinion about that. Let's turn to someone who lit it up last year in the Yankees rotation, 
and he's doing it so far through two games. Nestor Cortez Jr. He has thrown nine and a third scoreless inning so far. Struck out 17 guys. He's walked just one. He did it against the Blue Jays, and he did it against the Orioles. And he struck out 12 batters on Sunday in Baltimore. Based on what we've seen last year and the first two starts this year, the composition of Nestor Cortez's arsenal. David, do you need to see more, or have you seen enough to say that Nestor Cortez Jr. is for real? You know, I, I've I've seen enough of, of just his approach and his continuing improvement of, of his repertoire. His cutter-slider combination is for real. He throws it to both sides of the plate. He has impeccable control. He gets amazing carry on his four-seam fastball that doesn't light up a radar gun, but certainly misses some bats and gets a lot of late swings, and he paints it. And the little uh, changing of arm angles, he'll drop down and fire that four-seamer and paint it on the outside corner to righties, and they don't pick it up. Uh, he's starting to figure out that the element of surprise in his delivery and that changing of arm angles is better if you kind of keep it in your hip pocket and use it for with two strikes to finish hitters off, he's not doing, you know, all the, uh, all the big hesitation things we saw last year, you know, or overusing some of his tricks in the bag, I guess is a better way to put it uh, that he, he, he's understanding when to use those tricks and when to use those weapons. And it's usually with two strikes when he needs a strikeout and it's very effective. Um, the guy's just got uh, guts galore on the mound. He's like he's 10 feet tall and like he throws 100 miles an hour with his attitude out there. You just got to love the way he approaches it, the way he's going about it. And is he for real? I think it's time to believe that Nestor Cortez is for real and he's a fun watch. He's almost become a must watch now when he's on the mound. Everybody, the way he lights up the bench, you know, his teammates, the way they react to him tells a story to me too. And they think he's for real. So if they think he's for real, I think maybe well, we should think he's for real too. I'm officially converted. Last year, as much as I was enjoying the ride and I love watching him pitch, in the back of my mind, I was always thinking, which start is the bubble going to burst? He keeps doing it. Now, since last year, we're up to 102 in the third innings with him, and he has a 2.64 ERA. He's, he's living up to it. Every game, he just steps up and keeps getting better. It's incredible. Yeah, between the fastball not – exactly living in the mid to upper nineties. It's more 93, 94, but David, you mentioned it. There are things that he can do with his fastball between his command. I asked Aaron Boone this, how does a guy make his fastball play up? And when, when he's only throwing 93, 94, he was talking about the ability to pinpoint it for a backdoor strike or have it cut in against right-handers. So between the moxie, between his command also, a lot of people lose sight that Nestor Cortez is only 27 years of age, so he's still developing. He really is. And also something to not lose sight of, David, you briefly touched on it. I think he's endeared himself to his teammates. And I think that respect that other players in that clubhouse have for a guy who his story's out there. They know he kind of had a fight, scratch, and claw his way to get a spot in the starting rotation of the New York Yankees, especially in the environment we're in where everything's all about maximum velocity, max effort. This guy is, is obviously doing it with finesse. He has the variety of delivery that we, we, you know, we talk about, but the confidence that he goes to the mound with, I think it just keeps growing. It's really impressive. And I overall just think it's a combination of maturity and improving command that allows him to 
keep going here with everything playing off that fastball. So I'm a believer. I don't need to see more. I think every five days you're in for a real adventure with Nestor Cortez Jr. in the best way possible. Let's turn to the other New York team, the Mets guys. Uh, they, they were rained out on Monday night. They have a real test coming up this week with the San Francisco Giants, another team that's doing a great job in the pitching department. But even without Jacob DeGrom, the Mets pitching staff to open the season is glowing. At the same time, we've only seen them against teams like the Nationals, the Phillies, and the Diamondbacks. So are we a believer in this starting rotation as it's constructed? Do we need to see more or have we seen enough? I think we've seen enough to know they can hold down the fort until Jacob DeGrom comes back and whenever that is, and he's worth the wait, as you know, Jacob DeGrom is just amazing, but yeah, it's, it's a true Testament to the, the pitchers like, like McGill, like Tyler McGill that worked in the off season and got stronger and their pitch design is much better. These pitchers continue to refine their deliveries. They continue to use technology pitch design is something we use, you know, is kind of a term that that's, Everybody's using it in the industry, but it's real. The, the examination of shape and spin of, 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 of pitches based on grips and the seam shifted wake and all these terms that, that we throw around that we hear is, is something that's really paying off for these pitchers. They get into the they get into these biomechanics laboratories, they evaluate everything, and they're really learning and developing things that are staying one step ahead of the hitters. And you know, the pitchers have the upper hand right now. It's time for the hitters to bounce back. Uh, they, they, uh, they're kind of on the ropes a little bit to use, use a boxing term. Uh, the, the, the pitchers all, they, they gather together. They all agree uh, that look at this grip, look at this spin, look, look at the Rapsodo machine, look at the high-speed cameras. This is what we're, what they're seeing. They're all on the same page. Whereas hitters are still seemingly arguing about launch angle or swing planes or technique or nothing gets old school hitters, guys that have retired from the game that played in major league baseball gets their gander up more than talking about swing planes or barrel depth or just the technique of hitting you know, hitters are still arguing over that almost like it's sacrilegious to talk about, no, you got to swing down on the ball. Like, like George Foster used to do, or, you know, somebody back in the day and, you know, hitters better get it together <laughs> because the pitchers definitely have it together right now. We knew the Mets rotation was going to be one of the best in this year. And I don't know if it's to this extent, because like you said, games with the Nats and the D-backs, but a 107 rotation ERA through the first 10 games. That is the lowest ever by a starting rotation through the first 10 games of the season since earned runs became an official statistic in 1912. So they are living up to the hype even without DeGrom, thanks in part to Tyler McGill. And normally I would say, oh, it's just a couple of starts. But one thing that jumped out to me is McGill, you mentioned the work he put in, the, the velocity increase. His average fastball went from about 94 and a half last year. Now it's 96 and a half. That's a total game changer. Yeah, very good variation between his fastball and his slider. He was carving up uh, Phillies hitters in his last start. I need to see just a tad more. Just an incy-wincy bit more. I want to see the likes of Lugo and McGill and Peterson. I want to see how they can react to the hitters reacting to them. I just need that like once through and that's it. So I think guys like the Chris Bassett's obviously the Scherzer's even the cookie Carrasco's I'm confident in their ability. I just want to see a little bit more from some of these guys that have uplifted this rotation over the first two weeks or so. 
You mentioned that Carrasco is back. You know, mm-hmm. he, he's a, what a story. He's been through a lot, you know, cancer, everything he's been through. He's finally had some time to, to get his stuff back. And he, he looks like he's back to peak, peak form in my mind right now. Yeah. All right, let's head out west. L.A. Dodgers. Uh, at the beginning of this week, the Dodgers, they led this sport in whip, a stat that I do enjoy, uh, batting average against their um, right up there at the top in the ERA. Is this the best starting rotation one through five? When you take a look at the emergence now of Andrew Heaney, have you seen enough or do you need to see more with the Dodgers rotation one through five? You know, when I think of the Dodgers, I think about, you know, one through 20 in their organization. They have so much depth. That's the strength of the Dodgers. As far as the rotation goes, yeah, I want to see a little bit more. They 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 are well schooled out there, and they, they have tremendous resources. They leave no stone untor- unturned. Andrew Heaney, I want to see a little bit more, but it's not surprising that they've tweaked his the shape of his slider and, and, and the spin and the, and the and the horizontal movement on his slider looks different to me. So yeah, it's exciting if you're a Dodgers fan to see maybe maybe you've you've, you've found a hidden gem there in Andrew Heaney. But I want to see a little bit more with him. We we saw him struggle with the Yankees last year. He's prone to give up the home run ball as well. And that's always kind of been, been something that's bothered him. So yeah, when I think of the Dodgers, I'm not sure that I'd say that the rotation is the story, although they're very talented, but to me, it's just one arm after another. And there's guys in the minor leagues too, that, that the Dodgers have developed and they may be the best one through 20 arms in the industry. Bar none right now. David, I want to interject really quick about Andrew Heaney because you mentioned some of the tweaks they may have made with him. But what do you think they've done with working with Andrew Heaney that the Angels and and the Yankees didn't or couldn't? You know, it's three different stories. The Angels, sometimes there's a redundancy when you're with one organization for a long time and the the pitcher stops listening to the pitching coach or, you know, you you, you kind of uh, you, you can have a little bit of a, you know, hit a wall kind of a thing in terms of learning and growth. The Yankees didn't have enough time with him and there wasn't, there just wasn't. And he he was thrust into maybe a start here or there. He actually had one decent start and then it was the bullpen and then it was no consistency. And, you know, Matt Blake didn't really have time to to dig in with him and and get into him trying some things. And the Dodgers obviously had, they, they, they had the whole off season. And, and and certainly uh, even though there was a lockout post lockout, they had uh, time to work with him in spring training and, and show him some things and, He's obviously receptive because he does look a little different. He's always had excellent ride on his fastball, similar to Nestor Cortez in terms of kind of a sneaky fastball that jumps on you a bit. Uh, But he pitches up in the zone a lot and hence a lot of the home runs too. It kind of goes hand in hand, but his breaking ball kind of rolled last year and this year it looks much sharper and quicker and, you know, a little tweak of the grip, um, maybe uh, whatever they're working on with him. It looks different. It's noticeable in terms of the, especially the horizontal break on it. Everybody, you know, the, the buzz, the buzzword in the industry is kind of the, the, the sweeper. Everybody's throwing sweeping breaking balls now, because to me that that's the right combination. If you have shape on your breaking ball, if you're teaching somebody how to throw a breaking ball, you want the right combination of vertical and horizontal movement. You want it to drop, you want it to change planes, but you also want it to sweep because if you have sweeping action or sort of that, uh, that horizontal movement that even when it's up and it's hanging, it moves and you can get towards the end of the bat. So even if a hitter's on it and he goes to swing at it, if you get a little bit of sweep to it, a little bit of horizontal movement, you might get him off the end of the bat just enough to keep him in the ballpark. So that's kind of the theory behind the, what the Yankees call the whirly, 
or the, the, the sweeping breaking ball rage that we're seeing throughout the industry. Lucas Apostolaris from uh, baseball prospectus and pitch info. He does a lot of great work, great follow on Twitter. He posted a chart yesterday uh, saying, if it feels like you've been seeing a lot more sweeping sliders this year, it's probably because you have been And it. And his chart is the average horizontal movement on sliders throughout major league baseball. In the last couple of years, it is skyrocketing and it is going up even higher so far in 2022. It is the craze as, as, as Coney uh, just mentioned. Yeah. As far as the rotation, I think I need to see a little bit more. It's it, in my opinion, it's very top heavy, possibly the best three, but with Heaney want to see a little bit more, I believe in the work that he's done and what the Dodgers have gone through with him. I just want to see a little more of a bigger sample size, Tony Gonsolin as well in the fifth starter spot. I want to see a little bit more. Uh, all right. Two guys who have done a really nice job bouncing back from major elbow procedures, Justin Verlander and Noah Syndergaard. Who do we need to see more of to be convinced that they have returned to form? Well, to me, that's an easy answer. I mean, Verlander is the pitcher of his generation in my mind. He is a game changer, has been a game changer. When the Tigers traded him to the Houston Astros, everybody else lost out. It was a it, it's a reason why they have a ring on their fingers. In my mind, everybody wants to talk about, you know, oh, they cheated or this or that or the banging of the trash cans. Yeah, okay, I got you on that one. But Justin Verlander's the guy. If the Yankees get him, the Yankees probably get the ring too in 2017. He's that good. Um, he's back. There's no doubt in my mind with his body of work that he's fine. He's going to continue to maybe be the Tom Brady of, of the pitchers in, in, in our sport. Uh, Syndergaard, I want to see a little bit more of. He hasn't missed a ton of bats so far. His, his strikeout numbers aren't what you would think they would be or what they were previously when he was healthy. It's good to see him back. He's got good control. He, he might be a little bit of a different version of Syndergaard this time around. He might need a little more time to build to fully build back up. But I want to see a little bit more. If you're comparing the two, Verlander, I'm sold. I'm buying. Syndergaard, of course, love, love him. Want to see a little bit more, though, in terms of his stuff and to see if, if he really is all the way back or what, he, what he's going to be. This version of Noah Syndergaard, what he's going to look like. Agreed. Want to see more out of Syndergaard, although I think that says more about Verlander than it does about my opinion of, of Thor. Um, I think the question with the, the, the issue with both was always going to be health. These are extremely uh, talented, elite type pitchers when healthy. If they can give the proper amount of innings for the course of the year, I think we're going to look at their numbers at the end and say, okay, that they had a good year as long as they're answering the bell every fifth day. I'm in lockstep with you guys. I think we've reached the point with Justin Verlander where I have blind faith in his abilities on the mound, whether or not he's coming back from Tommy John or whatever injury it could be. Again, uh, through two starts right now, 13 innings on the mound, 15 strikeouts. He has an ERA of 0.69. Went eight innings in his second start back against the Mariners, who I know they're not off to a great start offensively, but there's, their lineup seems like it's going to be clicking at some point this season. Syndergaard, like you, David, uh, the, the strikeout totals are something that make me raise an eyebrow not missing a bunch of bats he's not getting a, a ton of swings and misses but the, overall the numbers are solid he's also logging some significant innings out of the gate six innings against the rangers in texas the other night but i want to see a little bit more of Syndergaard. not not like that i'm not sold at all i just want to see 
uh, more of what he can do. And yeah, James, to what you were saying, Verlander just accentuates this type of questioning, right? Like it's more of a product of Justin Verlander being in the same conversation than it is on what we've seen from Syndergaard. Uh, All right. Another NL West team. We did the Dodgers moments ago. The Padres pitching staff. Talking about LA's top five. Does San Diego have a case to be made that they feature the best big three in the game at the moment between Manaya, Musgrove, and you, Darvish? Have we seen enough or do we need to see more? Pretty good. You know, Mike Clevenger's on his way back too. You know, like, like we mentioned at the top, the Padres, but I just want to see them at full strength, get everybody healthy and what kind of team they could be. Love what AJ Preller's trying to do out there. They're up against it, following the Dodgers, trying to keep up with the Dodgers. But yes, those those three are really good. Um, Musgrove, one of the best breaking balls you'll see in the game. It's just fantastic. You know, to me, one of the top five breaking balls in the game, breaking ball packages. Uh, Manaya is the funky lefty that's that's you know, hard to pick up, and he's just just got onions on the mound. You know, just guts galore. Um, uh, and then you Darvish, we saw a pitch. You's always been one of the most talented pitchers. He could spin a baseball with the best of them. He's using his fastball a little bit more. They're encouraging him to use his fastball more. He's one of those guys that features so many different types of pitches that he can get caught in between. You know, I've got six different looks. You know, I could throw, I can make the ball do anything I want. That sometimes is almost a curse because, you know, you're, you're trying to mix in all of your six pitches all the time and it's hard to do. Sometimes it's better just to be really good at your top three pitches and then occasionally mix in some of those other looks. So it's always a question of usage with you, Darvish. Uh, so that, that's, that's the question for me is uh, he, his stuff is legit. He looked good the, you know, on Sunday night baseball. So yeah, uh, they're, they're legit. That, that top three with Clevenger coming back. You know, it's, it's an interesting follow the, the Padres starting rotation. I've seen enough. I'm a believer. I love all three individually. As far as are they the best big three? I'm still going to say no or need to see more. Uh, probably the Dodgers. Can't go wrong with Bueller, Kershaw, and Arias. And that, I could amend that too. When, uh, whenever DeGrom gets back, the Mets jump to the top spot there with DeGrom, Scherzer, and friend of the show, Chris Bassett. Yeah, on the surface, the question, which needs a hard answer, do you need to see more? Have you seen enough? I need to see more because I think the Dodgers have proven themselves before. But as far as an, an avant-garde trend and and a cutting edge in terms of what you're seeing out of San Diego, I love where this is trending. I love watching Manaya pitch here as a 0.79 whip. He's, you know, he's made three starts now. Musgrove's about to make his third start. You Darvish had one big clunker in the middle of two very nice starts. So the numbers may not look all that pretty right now, but in terms of raw stuff, it's obviously there. We've seen plenty enough of you Darvish. So I'm excited. And you mentioned a guy like Mike Clevenger, obviously coming back. Mackenzie Gore has come up. He looked pretty good in, in his first outing. So the depth may not be there like one through 15, like David mentioned before with the Dodgers, but I would say the Padres have a load of talent, on their starting pitching staff. And I really like these, these top three in terms of raw stuff, raw ability. Last topic, guys. Baseball composition. So on Sunday, there were only 15 home runs hit across 14 games. Baseball references, Jeremy Frank had this. He said that that is the fewest 
amount of home runs hit in a day with at least 14 games since September 24th of 2014. And it's the fewest in an April day with at least that many games since 1993, April 28th, 1993. Are we playing with a dead ball right now? Have you seen enough or do you need to see more? I, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm trying to collect some of the balls because I want to give them to Meredith Wills and let her examine them without a doubt. It's a follow. It's of their own doing major league baseball, you know, and the stories that have been told and we've told them on here, we've had Meredith Wills as a guest and they, they, something to follow makes you wonder you're suspicious. We don't know. I'm not a scientist, but yeah, I, I'm curious and I, and I, and I'm skeptical about you know, what, what's a baseball actually doing coupled with, you know, Camden Yards not yielding his many home runs almost the Camden Yards effect with the left field and the fence being moved back and the one in the wall much higher. Yeah, that, that's a whole different ballpark the way it's playing. So, yeah, that all kidding aside, it's it's a follow. I'm curious. It makes me wonder. You know, the narrative coming out of spring training was spring training's too long. It's only for the pitchers. The hitters are ready to go after three weeks or a month. Well, that's wrong. <laughs> the pitchers are ahead of the hitters right now. Maybe the, the hitters needed a little bit more time to get to get their uh, their swings together and their timing down. But coming out of spring training, that was I think it was a little bit of a false narrative. You know, the, the hitters, you know, weren't quite ready. And I think you get worn out. In the, it, it takes time to get back into the groove of playing baseball every day. And spring training, you know, they ramped up a couple of at-bats, three at-bats a game every other day, play two days in a row. And then by that time, they just got to that point, the spring training was over. And now you're playing every day. I mean, opening days rained out. The Yankees in and of themselves were, you know, okay, seven, eight, nine, ten games in a row. It's like, whoa, <laughs> I wasn't quite ready for this, this grind again. And the grind is real. You know, I, I know it's professional baseball. They make a lot of money. You know, anybody would love to do it. But that grind is real and playing every day. And, and facing all these different pitchers that are maximum effort now in a real game. It is is a big deal, and I think the hitters um, just weren't quite ready. So, yeah, a combination of a lot of factors, but the baseball it certainly makes you makes you makes you wonder. I've seen enough. Uh, usually, for you know, less than two weeks into a season for an individual player, you'd say, "Oh, it's a small sample size." Something a league wide trend where there's hundreds and hundreds of pitches and thousands of pitches and all this that it all adds up. Statcast information, so. We're looking April 7th to April 18th. That's the first 12 days of the major league season. So I wanted to look at batting average and slugging percentage on fly balls over these first 12 days with the same exact 12 day stretch last year. It's not a hundred percent apples to apples, but pretty close. Okay. Batting average on fly balls last year over the same stretch, 265 this year, 246 batting average. So that's 19 points lower. The slugging percentage on fly balls. Last year, 828. This year, 721. That's a 107-point decrease. A drop like that could only be explained by a, a deader baseball. MLB, if they, they, okay, they wanted to deaden the ball. They massacred the ball. Those are tough numbers to discount, for sure, even with a small sample size of 12 to 13 games or so. I need a little bit more, but this is, this is hard evidence right here. This is hard data. Strong segment from James Smythe right there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the I, offense will always, the offense will go higher. It always does. April's one of the lowest scoring months. And then it goes a little higher in May, a little higher mm -hmm. in June, but comparing April to April kind of gives us a better idea. 
Totally, totally. But there's also a few moments around the league that probably automatically jump to the top of your head when you're talking about this discussion. Some fly balls that died on the warning track. I know there's that one that Giancarlo Stanton hit last week against the Blue Jays at the stadium. Everything looked good. I'll tell you what, there was another one, and, and I can say this because from where I was, I was there, I was in the building and I was sitting right behind home plate. I was at Comerica park last week where the Tigers play the Red Sox. And I was a witness to history. Spencer Torkelson hit out his first career home run. I mean, he did it in gross rainy conditions, but between where I was sitting, the noise off the bat, the trajectory, and also Spencer Torkelson said, I kind of paused there to watch it because I knew it was gone. I knew it was going to go. I wasn't trying to show anyone up, but I just wanted to take that moment in. Guys, the ball wasn't a no-doubter. I mean, it landed maybe two or three rows over the left field fence. So, uh, you know, to have that confidence, maybe that goes in line with balls being a little bit more dead. But, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to take in a vantage point like that directly behind home plate, see all those factors and then just see where, where the ball landed. Cause yeah, from my eyes, it also looked like a no doubter, but it didn't exactly reach the back of the scoreboard over at Comerica. So it was interesting. Uh, Comerica park, really nice uh, stadium. First time there. And there was only about a thousand people there at that afternoon game. Oh. You pretty much, I wanted to rent a scooter and just have it, have at her around the ballpark. <laughs> Yeah, Miguel Cabrera too, going for historical yeah. historical things there as well. Mm -hmm. Three thousand hits coming up. Yeah, he's only about five or so away from three thousand. All right, guys, we move on this week in pitching history. James, what do you have? Okay, guys, this one I like a lot. I was looking forward to it. April twenty third, nineteen forty six, Dodgers versus Braves, seventy six years ago Saturday. Ed Head pitches a no hitter. Now we jump back to 1935, a tragedy. Ed Head, promising 17-year-old left-handed pitcher in Louisiana. He is in a bus crash that kills his girlfriend and shatters his arm. The doctors suggest amputating his arm. Ed insists on checking with his uncle, who is a doctor and the only one in the area that has a fluoroscope, like an x-ray machine. So he finds that they can save the arm, but his pitching career is over, left-handed. What does he do? He learns to pitch right-handed, and he ends up getting signed into pro ball in 1939, just four years later. And a year after that, he gets called up to the big leagues. He's a Brooklyn Dodger in 1940. He saw time that year, and in 1942, 43, 44. He gets drafted into the Army during the 44 season, and he's discharged in the fall of 1945. So in 1946, he's starting his season on April 23rd against the Braves, and after missing two seasons, he pitches a no-hitter in his first game back. And oh yeah, his wife gave birth to their son the day before. Then in August, he hurt his arm and he never pitched in the major leagues again. Then he had a successful nine-year career as a minor league manager. But Ed Head, one of the great stories for no-hitters in baseball history. I'm blown away. That is fantastic. <laughs> what, a, what a great, great story. That's and a remarkable. great name, Ed Head. Yeah. Yes. And thank goodness for his uncle. Dr. Head, uh, David, you've obviously been around the game longer than we have. Have you ever come across a, a pitcher who, for whatever reason, couldn't use and couldn't continue using their dominant arm, their pitching hand, and said, oh, well, here's another alternative. I'll just switch hands and try to learn pitching that way. 
Well, it, not necessarily in that order or that kind of a story, but yes, I did play against a guy in the minor leagues. His name was Gibson Alba, and he was signed as a as an infielder, throwing right-handed, and but he was ambidextrous, and so his his career as an infielder and as a right-hander didn't go so well. But he always used to amaze his teammates because he could throw left-handed as well. So then he turned into a left-handed relief pitcher and uh, threw, threw pretty well. He threw hard as a left-handed relief pitcher. I don't think he ever made it to the big leagues, but he was a professional ball player and he definitely opened some eyes. And he was the first one that we just couldn't believe. You know, Gibson Alba was his name, and it was it was just remarkable to see. Oh yeah, this guy. You know, he was signed as a right-handed thrower and he was an infielder and. He, you watch him coming out of the bullpen pitching left-handed relief. It was just, that was the first time I'd ever seen anything quite like that. So yes, it's happened before it's been done before. That's wild. You, you hear of some of those rare stories about pitchers, you know, converting to outfielders, vice versa, going back to the minors, re relearning their craft and coming back up that way. But to add the extra wrinkle there of switching hands, it's uh, impressive. So that James, that was a good one. Ed head long live Ed head. And the triumph of perseverance, for sure. Um, all right, guys, three up, three down. Each of us is going to give some love to a pitcher that we liked watching over the last week or someone that we feel people need to pay attention to. I'm going to lead it off here. I'm going to focus on a pitching matchup that I'm really interested in this week. And both uh, – actually, there's two. Both are on this coming Wednesday, April 20th. You have White Sox and Guardians. At the moment, as scheduled, Dylan Cease is opposing Tristan McKenzie, so two big fastballs, right? Cease, you fan eight batters in each of his first two starts. A fastball with a lot of life on it against the Rays on Friday. The off-speed pitches have insane depth as well. If, if you're not whiffing on these fastballs and sliders from Dylan Cease, then you're definitely not making – Quality contact either. His slider is averaging an exit velocity of just over 78 miles an hour. And then uh, with McKenzie, he's making his second straight start. He came out of the bullpen, came out in relief on opening day. So he's not as stretched out, but you'd imagine the pitch limit is going to increase here. Big fastball from him. He's really tall, really lanky. He has that big fastball extension that probably makes his heater play up a little bit. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Also, I want to give a shout out to the White Sox bullpen because there are a lot of interchangeable parts that we're seeing between guys like Kendall Graveman and Ronaldo Lopez. Aaron Bummer's already in there. It's all setting up Liam Hendricks in the back there. So that depth is pretty important even for a healthy pitching staff. We know the White Sox are not healthy right now. It's extra valuable for the White Sox. And another one really quick, Chris Bassett going up against uh, Logan going up against Logan Webb. I mean, I beg your pardon. Chris Bassett against Carlos Rodon, Giants and Mets. That's a, a great series to keep an eye on this week. But that pitching matchup on Wednesday is another one I have circled. You know, we, we mentioned these names before. You know, it, there's there's so many great stories. You know, obviously, Nestor Cortez is a follower. Every time he pitches, you can't help but, to, you know, peek in and see how he's doing. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, Hunter Green. Wow, what a story he is with the Reds. Remarkable, over 30 pitches, over 100 miles an hour in his last start. Had a great start. You hope he just doesn't get lost in the shuffle in Cincinnati because, you know, it may be a tough year to get run support for him. It remains to be seen, but he, he is the, one of the most exciting pitchers. He's got a great slider to go with it, so he's the real deal. You know, Hunter Green for <clears throat> not only just because of his stuff, but what we mentioned, you know, that you know, one of the great young black pitchers in the game that <clears throat> could be an inspiration to the inner city and 
trying, trying to get more diverse in our game. Uh, Spencer Strider with the Braves, a young reliever throwing hundred miles an hour has really gotten off to a great start as well. So there's some great stories out there to follow. Um, but yeah, every time Hunter Green pitches, you, you need to watch. And, and Spencer Strider could be a big part of that Braves bullpen. That's already really strong. What do you got, James? Uh, I'll go to, with Alex Cobb. Uh, baseball prospectus, Michael Ajeto had a, uh, a good article on, uh, on Tuesday. The Giants are going to make a Kevin Gosman out of Alex Cobb, and it's mm-hmm. talking about how he, his, his fastball has ticked up in velocity and his slider's been, been great. And it made me think that, you, Tony, you've mentioned this before, the Giants are, 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 are like a low-key, great pitching lab. The work that they've done with Brian Bannister as the director of pitching has been phenomenal. They are. Brian Bannister at or near the top of former pitchers, former players that, that have uh, backed it up with uh, not only uh, their, their knowledge as, as a professional pitcher, but the technology world, too. I mean, he's very fluent. He actually developed his own app that he can walk around the outfield with his cell phone, with an iPhone, and talk to young pitchers who, and maybe introduce them to the new technology and say, Hey, you want to see it here? Let me punch my app on my phone, throw a couple pitches. He'll hold his iPhone up and he'll show him the data right on his iPhone through the app that he helped develop. So yeah, he's, he's an industry leader to, to, to say the least. Brian Bannister is. It's incredible how some of these former pitchers that we, you know, watched uh, compete as players and have, successful major league careers how they're kind of just taking obviously they're staying in the same realm of pitching but just going at it in a completely different way nothing that they had at their disposal when they were playing i think of jeremy hefner as well pitching coach with the mets so you have these two teams going at it this week i think that is a a terrific both teams off to great starts their pitching staffs are doing work definitely two teams to keep an eye on but it's mainly because of the work that guys like hefner and brian bannister are putting in for their respective organizations. Guys, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to give a big thanks to Dan Rourke. I hope he paid his taxes. He put out a a really incriminating tweet. He asked if he should pay his taxes or not. So Dan, that one's going to come back to bite you if you opt not to. Big thank you to Dan. Again, a reminder, new episodes of the show, they drop each and every Tuesday. Please rate, review, subscribe. The best way that you can show support to the show here on Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Tone. It is a production of John Boy Media. We will talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.